Good morning. Good morning. Good, you're awake. Make sure that was, you were here with me at least. All right, um, we're going to pray and then we will uh, dive right in. Uh, Before we pray, I just want to thank you again for having me. Uh, Take that as a privilege. Anytime I get to stand before people and open the Word of God, and I'm hoping that as we pray, I trust that God will uh, open our minds and change our hearts to be more like Him. So let's pray and then we'll jump right in. Father God, we just thank you for the time we've already spent with you this morning. Uh, Through song and through fellowship, we just thank you uh, for the ability to come here this morning and to to fellowship together and to to worship and open your word. Lord, help us never take that for granted uh, as just something else we do during the week. But help us just understand that great privilege that we do have in doing that. Thank you for who you are, what you've done, and what you continue to do. In your name. Amen. All right, if you'll turn with me, uh, we'll be in 1 Peter this morning. Uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 is where we'll be. To give you a little bit of a preface, uh, just to catch you up in case it's been a while and you're a little rusty. Uh, 1 Peter is written to a group of churches in Asian Minor. And essentially, uh, these, these churches are struggling a bit with uh, persecution a little, uh, but in general just... Uh, the, the general sense of persecution. So not necessarily like this hard, everyone's going to jail, you're going to die if you're a Christian, but just uh, because of how many churches this are in this region it is, uh, are suffering a bit of, of persecution for their belief in who Jesus is. So Peter writes this letter to these group of churches uh, in order to encourage them, to remind them that in their age, no matter what's happening, no matter what comes against them, that they have this hope in Jesus. And we're going to read this. But I feel like the, the more and more time goes on, or maybe it's just the older I get, uh, I see that uh, it's more clear that culture in general uh, and Christianity are, are clashing. Uh, so I feel like First Peter is a very poignant letter for our time in the sense that uh, Peter and the other apostles and Paul and all the writers of the New Testament know that their faith is going to come up against the culture they're in. Uh, much like our faith is going to come up against the culture we're in. Uh, Because the culture, their time or our time or anywhere around the world, uh, does not line up with uh, the message of Jesus and Him being King alone. In fact, uh, throughout the New Testament, the times that they're persecuted, jailed, and killed is because they are declaring that Jesus is the King over all and the kings that everyone else worships or the God that everyone else worships are not. Uh, And then just declaring that uh, gets them in trouble. So let's start here in chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Peter. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles and dispersions of Pontius, Galatia, Cassadopia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the great, His great mercy, as He has caused us to be born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last times. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, have been grieved by various trials, so that the test and genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, 
though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring that the person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when they predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. We'll go on in a minute, but it's a lot of scripture. I want to go back through and cover it. Paul addresses them as elect exiles. The very first couple verses there. And the elect exiles, this, this wording he uses a couple more times through this letter that we won't get there. But it's indicating that they are people that are, that are from a different world. They are, they are looking forward to their hope in heaven. They are not in this world. And therefore they are ex- exiles of this world. He then points on to the fact that they are exiles because of this hope they have in Jesus. Because they've been bought by the blood of Jesus. That in particular is what's really making them these exiles in this time and in this place. And because they believe in this Jesus, he then goes on to this verse that I think is uh, very important. In verse 6. He says, you rejoice in the salvation you have in Jesus, though for a little time, he says, it may be necessary that you agreed by various trials. But he says in verse 7, he goes on, as we just read, it says, But these various trials are a testing of your faith. Like gold, he says, though perishes through fire, may be result to be found praise and glory and honor. See, Christian, it's one of these things that I think, and this is what he wants to write to these people initially off the bat. He says, look, you live in a culture as exiles. The culture that you are in, though you, you participate in, I mean, these people that he's writing to are participating in their cultures. They have jobs, they have families, they have friends, they, they interact daily in this culture. But they know that because of their love for Jesus, they are going to feel like exiles, they, they are going to feel off in this world. And he says, you're actually probably going to be persecuted for this. I don't think this is really much too foreign to us. He doesn't specific, uh, give specifics on what this persecution is. It could be as easy as an eye roll when they mention Jesus. It could be a loss of a job or loss of income. It could be a variety of different things. But he says, this is what's going to happen. He goes, you have this joy in Jesus. But this joy in Jesus, keep a hold of that even as you go through these testings and these trials. Do you hear what he's saying? It's not that if these come, he says these will come. These, These trials will come. But these are a testing of your genuineness of your faith. See, oftentimes I think that, that in our Western context, we kind of, we get all down like, oh no, we're getting persecuted. Oh no, people don't like Jesus. Oh no, when I mention Jesus, you know, bad things happen or people don't talk to me or I get, you know, put into this little group of weird people that believe in Jesus. But that's really a concept that, that we have in our Western world, whereas in, in Peter's day and the apostles' day, they know that declaring Jesus is going to make them different. In fact, if you read through every letter that we have in the New Testament, over and over again, the apostles 
And the writers of these letters say that you are a different people. You are a set apart people. You live in a different way. The culture you're in is going to know that you're different because of the way you interact and you live. And Peter here says that this will probably bring some trials. And these trials are a testing of your faith. So that on the other side of it, you're, you're holding on to something else. You're holding on to the salvation you have in Jesus. He then goes on to say something that I think that we oftentimes read over and don't really grasp the weight of. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And then he goes on in verse 10 on to where we stop talking about how the Old Testament prophets longed to see this Messiah. I mean, we see at the beginning of the Gospels, like there's this expectation that this Messiah is coming to save his people. Like there's this heavy expectation that he will come. So when Jesus steps onto the scene and starts doing what he does and starts saying what he says, people are like, this this might be him because there's this expectation. This expectation is felt all through the Old Testament through the prophecies of, of this coming Messiah. And what Peter is saying here is that these Old Testament prophets long for the day they could see this Messiah. I mean, I want you to understand, like, they, they wanted this so bad to this, this coming Messiah that would end this suffering, that would end this pain that they, they knew came in Genesis 3 when the fall happened and sin entered the world. They, they longed for the day that that would stop. And God gave them these, these prophecies that this Messiah, he, He's coming. And they longed to see it. But Peter said they didn't see it. In fact, they understood that it wasn't even for them, but it was for you. Now obviously this you here that Peter's writing is to the people in this letter. But I think it's a more general you to, the, to all those that know Jesus because of His coming. If we could grasp that, I think what we're, he's going to say here in a minute about the hope that we have in Jesus would go a lot deeper than a surface level hope. He says these people, unknown numbers of people, longed to know about this Jesus that you can freely hear about and read about. They longed to know. But now it has been brought to you. This glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that you in your sin can be saved by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross and his raising from the dead over sin and death. Christian, if that doesn't give you get excited, doesn't give you hope, I don't know what will because he says these people long for this and you get to hear it. They wanted to see it and you get to experience it. They wanted to just know a taste of it. And the Holy Spirit lives inside you now and you actually get to live the thing that they long to see. He says, that's the hope you have. The hope they could not see or have. This Messiah that has come. And he goes, these persecutions that happen, these various trials... He's encouraging them that they can go through these things despite anything that happens to them because they have what? This hope. And it's not just this hope that can perish or go away, but it's this hope in Jesus that has been prophesied time and time again, has finally come, and you get to live in it. So when trials come, and when people say, well, Jesus is a joke, Or you lose money or opportunities or friends over this Jesus. He goes, you have a far greater hope. A hope that so many before you wanted to have but could not experience in the Old Testament. You now can experience and have. So these trials don't mean a whole lot. 
Even though they're bad, even though they're, they're suffering, he goes, you have that hope. We're going to move on to, to 13. He says, understanding that you have this hope that was prophesied before that they could not have, that the angels, he says, long to look. That hope in Jesus, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope Fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you to be holy, you also to be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from your fruitful ways of inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but is made manifest in these last times for your sake. For you, through him, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This verse 13 is, is really this, this term that he says, look, this hope that you have in this Jesus, that, that should motivate you, knowing that you get to experience the fullness of what was prophesied in the Old Testament. Knowing that, that should drive you, he says, to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, in fact, he goes on that next verse and says, your, your former ignorance that he talks about, so the sin you used to live in, the things you used to do when you were you, your old man, your old self, your sinful nature, you've now been transformed. And he goes, all those old things, because you now know this hope, you should know those things, are, there's no reason to go back to them. This is also a theme that you will see throughout the writings in the New Testament. Over and over and over again, the writers of the New Testament, Paul, the apostles, all the writers say, look, there's this old self that you have, this new self that you have now because of Jesus. And you have to continually be reminded that this hope is better than those things because your flesh will just try to bring you back every single time. But he says, this hope is better. In fact, Peter here in this letter uses the words that you should fully set your hope on the fact that when Jesus comes back, all of this will be realized. Christian, here's the thing. The world is looking for hope. Now, it's all in the wrong places, granted, but they're looking for hope. And Peter says, you live in this society, you live in this world, you you understand that you, because you understand and love Jesus, are going to be seen as exiles. But you have a hope greater than anything else. In fact, uh, at the beginning that we read, he says you have this hope that is imperishable compared to the things that are perishable. And you have this hope that has been greatly longed for. And because you know that, grab hold of it fully. Going into your world and not looking back at your futile ways of sin. He wants them to know this because the culture they're in is going to look at them as if they're a bit strange. There's going to be this large temptation for them to go back to their futile ways of thinking. Why? Because it wasn't difficult then. There wasn't any temptation. There wasn't any persecution. There wasn't, I could just do my thing and live my life and it was pretty easy. 
Because you have a greater hope than that. When persecution comes, you have a hope. Not just any hope that can go away. You have a hope in Christ. This hope that doesn't fade away. It's imperishable. And that hope will get you through those times. Because he says in previous verses, it's better than gold. That that even tested by fire eventually goes away. If you grasp the truth that he's telling his people, you're going to be able to go out these doors and live a life for Jesus. A hopeful life for Jesus in a culture that will come against you because of what you believe. But despite any of that, he urges us as followers of Jesus to hold on to that hope we have. Because it's a greater hope than anything else. And he says, one day Jesus is coming back. And that's what you have to look forward to. That's why you hold on to that hope. Because you know your Savior is coming back. So he says, as you live in this time, hold on to that hope. Because why? You were bought. You were bought by the blood of Jesus. Verse, six, verse 19, rather. He says you, or I'm sorry, verse 18. He says, you were knowing you were ransomed from your fruit ways, inherited for your forefathers. Not with perishable things. See, he's, he's giving comparison there. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the lamb without blemish or spot. I think the reason many times, and I would say this is a blanket statement, when we go out into the world and we're living our lives and we're talking to our friends or we're talking to our coworkers or we're just living life. And that, that slight temptation comes up because there's a little discomfort or there's a little, I, 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 I don't want to call it persecution because I think our brothers and sisters in other countries obviously face much greater persecution as far as loss of life. But there's, there's a discomfort because of your faith. You say something that disagrees with what culture says now. There's a little bit of that discomfort. I think the temptation there is to either not say anything or far worse, cave into it because it's discomfort for us. Peter is telling his people that those trials will come. But if they understand that they have the hope that was hoped for before and they grasp onto it, they're going to be able to persevere. Why? What he just said here. Because they understand They've been changed by not just a hope in some frivolous thing that will make them happy all the time, but by the hope in Jesus that brings joy, he said at the beginning, this inexpressible. And I can't explain that to you unless you've experienced it. I really can't. Because the Christian that has joy has joy in circumstances that don't make sense to anyone else. In times of trial, there's joy. Not happiness, but just a joy, a hope. In times of suffering, there's joy. In times of greatness, there's joy. Why? Because what he says here. Because we know we've been bought with a price. Maybe you're sitting here, and I don't know. I never try to assume anything about a whole room of people, even in a church. But maybe you don't even know who Jesus is. Maybe you just need to be reminded. So let's run through that real quick. In case you don't know, we're all really messed up. 
We're sinners. There's things we do. There's things we say. There's things we participate in that we should not. And there's always this, this yearning inside of us to fix that. Even the people that I know that deny the existence of any God want to fix that, right? Self-help, gurus, look at all. I mean, TED Talks, let's do something to fix me. There's that longing. And these things that we read about the Old Testament prophets prophesied about this Jesus coming, that's the answer to that longing. All that brokenness, he's the answer to that. But there has to be a payment for that because there's sin. Because there's sin, there must be a payment. The, the Old Testament, New Testament, it's clear on that. That there has to be some payment made for this sin. Just like if you go out to society today, even though uh, the society in general is sinful, there are rules and regulations. And if you break those, there's payment for that. Because even that is in the deepest parts of our heart that we know there has to be retribution for, for things done wrong. And though we're sinners, and though we didn't deserve it, Christ came for us. And there's this beautiful thing that happens on the cross. And Christian, maybe you just need to be reminded of this so that you have this joy and this hope. But on that cross, what Jesus does is he takes all of your junk, all of my junk, all of our junk, on himself. If you want to read, Paul describes this beautifully in Romans. He takes all of that on us, on himself. And then he gives us his righteousness. A man that had no sin takes our sin on him and gives us his righteousness. So this is what happens. This this glorious gift that we don't deserve, this is what happened. God looks down, looks at Jesus, says, that's all the sin. He takes the punishment for us. And then he looks at you and you know what he sees. He doesn't see all your sin, all your junk, all your mess. He sees Jesus' righteousness. A thing that we didn't earn, the thing that we don't deserve, that's what God sees when He looks at you and you know that you're dirty. He looks at you and He says you're righteous. Why? Because of Jesus' death on the cross for you. So when Peter speaks here that you were bought with a price, not of things that are perishable, but of Jesus' blood specifically, this is the transaction He's reminding them of. So he says, when you're out in this world and you face various trials and temptations and things happen to you, he goes, realize that you have much greater hope. A hope that's not found in you, but a hope that's found in Jesus. Because what he did for you. So whatever comes against you, whatever is said about you, whatever ideas come in contact and conflict with your now new life. Because it's nothing compared to the hope that you have in Jesus. And if you ever need something to hold on, he tells his people, hold on to the fact that that Jesus that saved you, he rose from the dead. And he's coming back. And he goes, that's what you have to look forward to. And that's how you can make it through your culture and your time and your conflict and your trials, whatever they are. It may not be big for you. Or it may be huge. He goes, they're going to come because of your belief in Jesus. Peter saw this coming. Peter ended up being crucified upside down by Nero because of his belief in Jesus. So the same man that said the words we just read ends up dead upside down on a cross because of his belief in this Jesus. If you follow church history, all the apostles end up that way. If you follow just church history in general, you see that martyr after martyr after martyr. Why do people... Kill Christians because we say Jesus is king. 
He's the ruler. He's the one over all. And how do time after time, even with fierce persecution, even with loss of jobs and loss of life and loss of money, do people that believe in Jesus say, I'm holding on to that despite anything else? How? How? Because those that follow Jesus have much greater hope in him than anything else. And if I am to encourage you with any words, it would be this. You're going to leave these doors, go into your week, and things will happen. And maybe it won't be any persecution. Maybe you won't fit you'll go through any of that this week. But I can guarantee you, eventually, a subject will come up. A conversation will be had. And there will be a line in the sand drawn where you have to decide, as the people that Peter is writing to have to decide, will they follow Jesus and hold on to that great hope that they have because of his cross? Or will they rather cave in and say, I'd rather just take the easy way? Peter knows his people that he's writing to in these various churches are going to face trials. That's not a surprise. In fact, later on, he goes, when those come, don't be surprised. But when you face those trials, what is your hope in? That's the question. Do you believe in the deepest parts of your soul that Jesus' blood is paid for you? And that hope drives you in everything you do. Your conversations, your friendships, your beliefs, how you interact with people. Because if you read through the New Testament at all, what you will see is a people that believe in Jesus are a changed different people. They talk different. They act different. They interact with people differently. Everything about this new creation we read all throughout the New Testament. This new people group that God brings together under Jesus is a different type of people. And in every instance, they are a different kind of people because their minds and hearts have been rearranged into how God wants things to be set up. Every single time that's different than their current culture. In their particular culture... Rome is set up in a certain way. And Paul and the apostles come in and they say, that's great and all, but God wants it set up this way. And when they start simply speaking that, all they have to do is say it. And opposition comes their way. So Christian, I'm just telling you, if you don't already know, the beliefs that we find in the Bible, that we are told to proclaim, that we are told to live out, will no doubt bring opposition to your doorstep. I mean, you're, I mean, you're super lucky right now. We've been really lucky for a really long time as far as how culture and the church has worked out. But I'm telling you, it's knocking at the door, guys. Peter, when he writes this letter, it's knocking at the door. He says, it's coming. I want to remind you of your hope, though, before it gets here. So that you know what to hold on to. So you know what to have faith in. Because this Jesus is greater than anything else. He's bought you with a greater price than anything else. And that is the only thing that's going to get you through. So Christian, that would be my question for you and my encouragement for you this morning. To hold on tightly to this Jesus that has bought you. And if you happen to be in here and you don't know Jesus yet. I can guarantee you he is much greater than anything else you have. He is far more worthy than anything else you put your hope in. And he will outlast 
everything else. My hope would be this morning as we leave these doors and go into our week, the Holy Spirit stirs in you the realization that you are a changed person because of Jesus. And at some point this week, I just pray that he drops it in your your mind that the thing you get to experience is what people long far and long dead longed to experience. They didn't get to, but you do. Can I have the worship team come up? We're going to sing a song here. I, I like it uh, whenever I do go places that we, we end in song, and this is why. Because it's, it's us as a congregation's opportunity to stand and declare together the truth of what Jesus has done and what he is doing. So it's not just you listening to me and you know, thinking that was great or that was horrible, whichever way that goes. But rather, you standing up as believers in Jesus saying, I declare that he is king. I declare with everyone else here that he is king. Because, Christian, another thing that's important here is that though it's not impossible to to live this Christian life on your own, it's much easier to be done in a community of believers that are there praying for you, that are there helping you along, that are there to help you remember what Jesus has done for you. Let's sing, and then we'll end in prayer.